Hey everyone, I have something a little different for the podcast this week. I was recently given the opportunity to speak at a program here in Iowa called Gospel-Centered Recovery out at Sailorville Church. Now what this program is, is essentially for people who struggle with addictions, and it shows them the transforming power of Jesus Christ in their lives, because as we know, Jesus has already conquered our sin, and so it just basically helps people to know more about their Savior so that they can have a better understanding of the entirety of their Christian life, which includes the addictions they struggle with. And so this teaching was video recorded, and um, I'll have a link to the video itself, as well as Gospel Centered Recovery and Sailorville's main website. But Sailorville also gave me permission to take the audio from the video and put it out on my own podcast. So the audio is going to be a little bit different because I was wearing a just a microphone on my shirt while speaking, but I think it's a good one. I think it's one that takes a good look at 1 Corinthians 14. Um, if you're familiar, that is the area where Paul really talks about the use of tongues in the church, and it gives a biblical understanding of why Paul is saying what he's saying, as well as looks at what we should be paying attention to in this passage. So I'll just let the audio play till the end, and I'll see you again next week. All right. So uh, I realized as I was preparing to come and speak here today that I have not spoken in a formal teaching setting in front of people in years. So this is kind of a almost new, freshly new experience for me. Um, I do, you know, teach regularly. Uh, like Dave said, I have a blog and a podcast where uh, every week I just talk about every area of the Christian life and just try to break it down in a way that isn't this, you know, you know, high-minded, you know, high intellectual thing, but just making it practical for people. And so I'm excited to come here and actually get to do it in front of people. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have an edit button and I can't sit here for long pauses as I collect my thoughts. So, um, but I am very excited. I'm so thankful, especially to be here because I know the transforming power of the gospel and the fact that so many people are here recognizing their need for it. I just think is huge. So I'm very thankful to be part of this. And um, as we just kind of dig into God's word together and hopefully by the end of this, my prayer all through the past few weeks has just been that all of us can leave this time just feeling closer to God, having a better understanding of who he is and what he calls us to. Um, so just a, a real quick bit about who I am. Um, so I've been, I was saved when I was 18, um, but I actually spent about 10 years just completely wasting my Christian life. Um, a, a year or two after being, um, being saved by Christ, I ended up leaving the church. And as with any story, there are plenty of reasons why, but one of the big ones is actually really relevant to what I get to talk to you about tonight because I did not see the value in the church. I could wake up on Sunday, and if I didn't go to church, I wasn't stricken with plague, my house wasn't burning down, so I figured I didn't really need the church. I was fine not going, not singing the music, not having to be social with people. So I basically just left the church. I, I had my relationship with God, I had my get out of hell free card, and I thought that that's really all I needed. And so like I said, I just wasted 10 years of my life. And so I'm really excited, like I said, because tonight I just get to, to take the hard lessons I've learned and hopefully encourage some of you to not waste your life like I spent so much time doing. Um, oh, I guess I should say, um, so my website is up there for anyone that wants to visit it. I'm terrible about plugging my own things, but there it is. So the first thing that we want to talk about, um, and I'll be in 1 Corinthians 14, so if you want to find your way there, um, you know, it's towards the, the back end of the Bible. If you can't find it, uh, your Bible has a table of contents. 
But the first thing we want to talk about and really come to an agreement on is, do we need the church? Is the church important, important for our daily lives and a, a regular part of who we are? Or is it just something that we kind of go to when we're in trouble? Or is it something that's good for some and not for others? So just a quick foundation I want to lay is found in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, which says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So this isn't the point of this this lesson, so I'm not going to dig too deep, but very simply laid out in God's word, he calls us to meet together regularly, to come together under a teaching style ministry from our pastor to, you know, build and encourage one another. So if we can agree that church is important, what we then need to ask is how should we think about church and how should we think about the people in the church? And that's going to be the bulk of what we're going to talk about today. We're going to look at um, some problem examples in 1 Corinthians which if you've been here long enough, you know that the church in Corinth has loads of issues. And so we're just going to look at another way that they are struggling to live out the life God has for them. And then I also want to look at some other areas of the Bible where we can see, okay, how should we live? How should we think about the church and the people inside of it? So before we lay any groundwork um, or before we go on, so we're going to be talking about tongues. And tongues is I know a fascinating part of the Bible. It's a very controversial part of the Bible. Um, if you're not familiar, there's in, in the world today, there's this idea that, you know, tongues is either completely absent. Tongues is just someone's ability to learn a language well. So instead of taking five years to learn Spanish, you take two. Or there's some who think that tongues is this very supernatural language where you speak in the tongues of angels. It's not an earthly language. No one should be able to understand you. And it's this kind of what they call an ecstatic utterance. It's this very kind of high emotional thing. So Paul's going to be talking about how this church is using tongues. And so I'm not going to be talking about what tongues are necessarily. That's not the focus. But I do want to dig into what tongues are. Number one, because it's incredibly relevant for what we're talking about. And two, because I know people are curious. And so I just want to briefly answer by looking at God's word what tongues are and how they're supposed to be used. So the first thing we know from the Bible is that tongues are a human language. They're not an ecstatic utterance. They're not, um, you know, an angelic language or anything like that. It is a supernatural gift that was given by God. And we can see that. Uh, you can see the full context of it really in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. That's where we see the first instance of tongues. But for sake of time, I just want to dig into verses 4 through 6. It says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So very clearly we see here that they began speaking in other tongues. And we can see from the context later that tongues is just another word for language. So they were given this gift of speaking languages, languages they did not understand before that moment, but they were able to speak in a way that people around them were able to understand what was being said, like, like the people said, in their own language. So if you were a Greek and all you spoke was Greek, but then someone from you know, a region in Asia came in, they would hear you speak. You would be speaking in Greek for all you knew, but they were hearing it in their own language. They were understanding what was being said. Now, we also want to ask, what, when should tongues be used? How should this gift of, of being able to supernaturally speak a language you don't know be used? And we can actually see that in the end of the, the text we're going to be in today, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 22. 
it says, thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Well, prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. So very clearly, very simply, tongues are not meant to be used in the church. They are meant to be used to give the gospel to unbelievers, people who don't already know Jesus Christ as their savior. Now, this is a, a topic that w should take me an hour, so I'm going to try to do it in about two minutes. So why? What was God's point in doing this? Why give this gift of tongues in the first place? So let's think kind of logically about what was happening when this, this uh, situation in Acts occurred. So Christ had been killed for our sins. He took our place under God's wrath so that we could be forgiven for our sins if we ask him to save us. He was buried, he was resurrected, and then he ascended back up into heaven. And he left this group of people that we see in Acts 2. So we have a very small group of people in one part of the world who understood the truth of God, who Jesus Christ was, and why people needed him because he is the only way to heaven. Now, we have two options. One, these people can start a very small church locally, and then they can kind of slowly grow and outreach it and, and maybe spend four or five years learning a language so that they can take the gospel to other parts of the world. But that's four or five years. Or God could give them, as we see, this gift to speak in a language they didn't already know in order to give people the gospel so that they could go to any part of the world and know that God was going to be there so that they could give the gospel to people who needed it, plant churches in that region so that then the local people could then grow the church there. So, like I said, that's a, that's a very rapid-fire understanding of what tongues is, why God gave it, and why it makes sense that that is what tongues are based on just the context we know of history and what was happening at that time. So, all that being said, let's talk about not just tongues, but the heart problems that Paul saw in this church and how they were using tongues. Um, so, like I said, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians, and I would love to be able to just dig in verse by verse and go at it, but for respect of your time, um, I'm just going to kind of try to hit the bullet points here, but I would highly encourage you, you know, after this, if you watch the video later or just on your own, go through, read the entire chapter. You know, don't just stop at verse 25, read the whole thing, because all of it is pointing to what we're going to be talking about tonight. So I don't want you to take my word for it. I encourage you to go find the truth in God's word. Now, the first thing that Paul's going to deal with is the fact that these people were using tongues selfishly. They, they thought about themselves only and not about the whole church. Because what they were doing, as we're going to see, is they were using tongues in the church. They were speaking, speaking in languages that no one around them understood. And so they were using their gift, but they were using it not to give the gospel to, to people who needed it, but instead using it in church, and as we're going to see, causing a lot of problems by doing it. So verses 1 to 4 says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. Now, quick point of clarity, because this causes a ton of confusion when people are talking about what tongues are. Paul is not describing what it means to use tongues. He's not saying, if you speak in tongues, you're only speaking to God. Because that's a big idea and kind of a big support that people have for this kind of angelic language. Instead, what Paul is doing is he is accusing them. He's saying, when you, you people in this church, when you are speaking in tongues, because no one can understand you, you're only speaking to God. And if we read on, we're going to see that is a problem, not a recommendation. So verse 3, he picks up, On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. 
The one who speaks in tongues builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. And so here, Paul is laying out kind of a compare and contrast. He's saying, here's what you're doing. Here is what you should be doing. So he's saying that those who use the gift of prophecy in the church, what they're doing is they are building up others. They are, they are investing in the believers around them. They are focusing on others in the church, not themselves. But those who are using tongues were only concerned with themselves, whether it was to show off that they had this gift that no one else had, whether it was because it gave them kind of an emotional high because they were, you know, speaking this thing and other things were happening and it was all supernatural and it was, you know, cool or weird to them. Whatever the motivations of these people were, one thing we know is that their hearts were not right because they were focused inwardly on how they benefited, on what they got out of it, not how they could build up others or how what they were doing was affecting those around them. And so this is going to lay the groundwork for everything Paul is going to be saying to them as we're going through the Bible. It's not just about tongues, but the hearts of the people who are using the gift in the church. Now, the next thing to look at is that, again, and he's going to hammer this home, they didn't care about benefiting others. Not only were they selfish, but their hearts had no real concern for the believers around them. So in verse 6, he says, when I can find my place, uh, now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? So, you know, Paul is, Paul is saying, you know, if even I, Paul, and if you're familiar with Paul, he is, you know, the apostle. He's kind of the big guy. And he doesn't say this arrogantly. You know, Paul doesn't think more highly of himself than he should. But he's saying that even if I, you know, the, an apostle of Jesus Christ came to you and all I did is speak in tongues— I would be completely worthless to you. If I'm not also bringing something that builds you up, that encourages you, that makes you love God more, then I just need to shut my mouth. And that's honestly what Paul is going to be saying here, is that it doesn't matter if I come to you and I speak tongues in a way that no one else can. If I am not also investing, if I'm not focused on the people of God first and not myself, it's pointless. But that is not how they were thinking, and that's not how we want to think. And that's what we want to check ourselves as I'm talking tonight is, are we thinking about ourselves when we think of the church, or are we thinking about how we can invest in others, how we can build others up, and especially how we can serve the people of God around us? Now, before I go on to my next point, I want to ask, does anyone in here like jazz music? Wow, that is like five more hands than I expected. <laughs> awesome. So when I was in middle school, I was in a class called Jazz Band. And there was two saxophone players. There was me and a guy named Eric. Now, Eric was an incredible musician. He always had first chair. He, you know, he just, he picked everything up perfectly. It was an amazing thing. And so in jazz, if you're not familiar, or if you've tried to black it out, jazz, a big part of it is improvisation. It's not just sheet music. It's knowing the, the genre of jazz, knowing your instrument so well that you can just make things up on the spot and it sounds good. Now, in this, this jazz band class that we were in, that's what our teacher tried to teach a bunch of, you know, young teenagers how to do was to make up jazz music on the spot. And so when Eric would have his time where, you know, he would, he would be encouraged to do it, he would stand up, and I mean, he would play things you would swear he was reading from sheet music. It was so good. And I'm pretty sure he, he cheated and would memorize stuff, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> now, I said there was another saxophone player, and that was me. Now, when I would start to freestyle and make stuff up, I I've never heard the sound of geese being sucked into a jet engine, but when I would play, I'm pretty sure that's what it would sound like. Because if you've heard a saxophone, you know they can be kind of shrill and ringy. If you've ever heard a bad saxophone, it is awful. 
And so he and I, we would both be playing music, right? There would be noises coming out of these, you know, brass things that we held. But there was a massive difference in whether someone wanted to listen to Eric and why Eric was the only one that was allowed to play when we performed and what I was doing. Understanding that, let's read the next part of our text where we see that these Corinthian believers were choosing to be useless by how they were using their gift. So in 7 to 9, it says, If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves. If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. So again, it's that difference. They were making noise, certainly. They were using the gift they had, certainly, but it was just noise, that's all it was. It was me wailing away on my saxophone. There was nothing beneficial, there was nothing uplifting, there was nothing that was of any use to anyone else. And it's not that they couldn't help themselves, they were making this choice, knowing why God gave them this gift, and instead of going out and preaching the gospel and telling others about Christ, they were just sitting in their church, being selfish, and not concerning themselves with how they could uplift the church or even how they were tearing down the people around them by what they were choosing to do. So um, if we just move on then, we can really see where this issue came from. So in verse, I want to jump all the way down to verse 12. Like I said, highly encourage you to go read all this yourself. But in verse 12, he says, So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. So here, what I love about this is that, you know, like I said, even today there's this huge argument in the church of, oh, you know, tongues are, are wrong and they shouldn't be used. And what, whatever we feel about that, Paul here isn't condemning them for having the gift of tongues. He's not condemning them for using the gift of tongues. He's saying, it's great that you want to use your gifts in the church, but use the ones, do things that will build up people within the church. He's not saying you're wrong for using tongues. He's saying you're wrong for how you're using tongues. So, you know, in our own lives, that's what we need to think about is, are we focused on, like he says in, in 12 here, in building up the church? Is that what our desire is? Or are we at church for ourselves? Now, I want to end these last two and just share, you know, we've kind of seen a, a very quick picture of what this church looked like, what the hearts of these people were, right? We can see that they were just, they were very selfish. They were not concerned with others. They're very concerned with themselves. And that's why Paul keeps hammering on the fact that they are not building into others. But I also want to look at some of the damage that they were doing, because it wasn't just a matter of they were being selfish and it was kind of a problem, but they were actually hurting and hindering the believers around them. So if we jump to verses 16 and 17, Paul says, Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. So here's what we know about God. God is sovereign, right? Nothing happens by accident. Nothing's outside of God's control. So if these believers were here in this church, it's because God had them there with a purpose because they fit into that body of believers to do whatever it is that God had called them to do, whatever he had created them to do. Some of them, it was using their natural gifts. You know, maybe it was, um, you know, playing music. Maybe it was helping fix things or whatever it is. And some of them were there because God had given them life experiences that by relying on the power of Jesus Christ, they could build others up by investing in others, sharing struggles with others and things like that. Whatever it was that God had them at that church to do, they were not living it out. 
because all they were doing is they were speaking in tongues and for all anyone knew, they were speaking incredible truths about God. They could have been speaking about the beauty of the cross and the, the greatness of God's justice and judgment and, and God's hatred of sin and why he must judge it, but why Jesus Christ alone is the way to heaven. They could have been saying this, and we, all of us who know Jesus Christ, would say, amen, yes. But no one had any idea. No one knew if that's what they were saying. So how could they benefit? How could they be built up? How could they praise God with this person because that person was being selfish and showing off versus doing things that would build up those around them. And so we do that too. If we are at church and we are not serving the way that God has called for us to serve in the church where he's put us, we're not just hurting ourselves, but we are depriving others of what God wants us to be in their lives. Wherever we are, whatever gifts we have, however God calls us to serve, if we're not using those for God's glory, then we are hurting the people who could be growing closer to God, who could be loving God more, and who could be worshiping right alongside us, but we deprive them by being selfish, just like this church here. And finally, not only were they hurting the believers in the church, but the gospel was being damaged because they were creating a, a sort of disunity in the church to where when other people would come in, they would think people were go, had just gone nuts. And Paul actually says that, and I love it. So in um, 22 to 25 here, it says, and we're familiar with this one, thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So whenever we think about anything in life as followers of Jesus Christ, we can serve one of two people and we can try to bring glory to one of two people and we can try to, to um, glorify one of two people. Either we can try to glorify ourselves, we can do what we want, do what makes us happy, and do, and do ultimately what feels right in the moment, or we can focus on something higher and say, despite what I want, I know what God wants. I know what God calls me to. And so by not living how they were supposed to, Paul is saying here that if you were, if you were using your gifts how you're supposed to, if you were speaking in tongues to people outside the church, and within the church, if you were being orderly, if you were being focused, if you were doing what you're called to do and functioning as a, a spiritual family, then even if unbelievers come in and they're like, I wonder what this Jesus thing is about. I wonder what this whole church gathering is about. What are, you know, my neighbor's been talking about it. I wonder what's going on. If that person comes into a church that is functioning well, not, not a church that is sin-free because the church is just a big building full of sinners. We're all messy. We're all wrong. But if we are trying to glorify God as much as we can in our broken state, relying on Jesus Christ in all of our weaknesses, then even when those people come in, they're going to see God among us. They're going to come in and see that, you know, in this church, they would be able to see that, you know, th these people are different than the, the church of Aphrodite down the street. There is something unique about what they say about God. But instead, they were coming in here and people were saying, oh, it's just people being really emotional and weird and talking in languages I can't understand. The Church of Aphrodite is a lot more fun than this. Why would I come here? And so no one could be called to conviction of their sin and their need for Jesus Christ because nobody was hearing it. All they were hearing was just people being loud and making noise. So to sum it up, if it's not clear yet, these people were incredibly self-absorbed. 
they had what we today know as a consumer mentality. If you've heard that, it's a huge thing in America. Everything in life to our minds and how we are kind of grown and built up is built on what makes me happy, what deserves my business. You know, companies all around the world are competing to get us to be loyal to them, for us to want them more than the competition. And so we approach church that way, just like they were, in saying, I want to get out of this what is best for me, what will make me happy. What can you give me? And that was a huge problem because it's all about them. It's not about serving God and, and then acting based on that desire. All they were acting on is what makes me the happiest. And so, like I said, we know what's bad, right? There hasn't been a whole lot of good stuff to, to hear about the church at this point. So I want to end this on not just saying, don't do this, shame on you, but instead, how should our lives look? What can our lives look like if our first and foremost desire is to bring God glory, to live out the life that Jesus Christ has called us to in saving us and in putting us where we are, and especially in the church that we're in right now? So the first thing that I want us to see is that God calls us to serve others and to bring him glory. And that is first and foremost what our desire should be. Not serving others when it works, but above all else, how can I serve others? In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 and 11, it says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards. In other words, good caretakers, good owners of what God has given you. Um, of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So that, end, that ending there is key. Our motivation, our whole desire, the final outcome we want is for God to be brought glory. And we do that by serving others. And when I say serving, I want to clarify, I'm not talking about just being a greeter on, in the mornings or serving on the worship team or you know, doing cleanup crew, whatever. Those are ways to serve the church, but it's not just signing up for a role on the church's sign-in sheet and then doing that thing. Because serving is just investing in others. It's building others up. It's everything that this church in Corinth wasn't doing. It's loving others enough to want to draw them closer to God by whatever we can offer them because we love them, because we love God and want to draw people closer to him. Um, but it's not just Peter who says this. We see this example in Jesus Christ, right? The, the only person on earth that we should want to emulate and be like. Jesus Christ himself said in Matthew 27, 28, that even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus Christ did the ultimate service. You know, God came down in human flesh, lived a perfect life among us, and was killed by his very own creation, for crimes that he didn't commit. He was punished by God for our sins that he never committed. It is completely unfair that what Jesus Christ did, and yet he did it. Not because he came to earth and said, I am God, you should serve me, because 100% he had the right to do that, but instead he came as a servant to love and serve others who could do nothing to deserve what he did. And that is the mentality, and that is the heart's desire that we want to have as well. Now, another thing that we can do to make sure that God doesn't have to write a letter to us and how we're using our gifts is to remember that God wants us to put others above ourselves without any kind of selfish motive, without any ulterior expectations. It's not a matter of, hey, they're really nice. I want to invest in them. Or, you know, they, they you know, brought me a meal after I was in the hospital. I owe them. That's not what we're talking about. It's not a transactional relationship we have with others. It is a one-way thing where we love others despite how much we may feel that they deserve it. 
So Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. So we do nothing from selfish ambition. We do nothing trying to get the most out of our church or church members that we can. Everything we do is done out of love, a sacrificial love that Jesus Christ modeled in his life on the cross and day to day as he continues to give us grace. Um, and finally, and simply, we just need to encourage one another. Like I said, service isn't just about these you know, really big acts that you do you know, once a month, once every few months where you just go all out. It's just this simple lifestyle of building people up, encouraging them, asking someone how you can pray for them, and for goodness sake, actually praying for them, following up with them, you know, rejoicing when someone gets a new job or has a new baby. You know, it's just living a life with other believers, wanting nothing more than for all of us to draw closer to God through our earthly relationships. Now, I want to say, you know, a lot of what I talked about has just been about serve, 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 right? Do, do, do. And I want to say the Christian life isn't just about like this kind of social club or, you know, kind of a humanitarian effort where we just go out and try to make everyone's lives better. Church isn't just like this meeting place where we all just come together and serve. We actually should expect something from our church. And we see that in Ephesians 4, 11 to 12. It says, and he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. In other words, God created uh, people with certain gifts to teach and to preach. So your pastor on Sunday, you know, David, the, the guy who spoke last week, me, um, you, uh, was it Pat Numbers that's speaking next week? Whew. Glad I don't have to follow him up. It's, it's these people who come and they, they want to teach you. They want to, to open God's word and show you things. Why do they do it? What is their motivation? What do all of us hope is the end result of this? Because we're trying to bring glory to God, but what specifically do we want to see? We want to see exactly what it says. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So church, and even you know, our time here together, this isn't just a thing where you come here and you open your mouth and someone just feeds you information and you close your mouth and you walk away. We want to equip you. We want to help you grow closer to God. We want you to grow in spiritual maturity, not just so that you're better people, not just so that you have more knowledge, but so that you can serve others, so that you can then invest in building up the body of Christ. So it's not just your pastor who's the mature one in your church feeding a bunch of babies, but it's mature believers working together to build one another up. That's what we should expect from our church, and that is what I would argue we should demand from our church, is that our pastors and our teachers are equipping us to serve. So, final things, um, you know, our, the small group time is going to really dig into this, but I just want uh, right now to call all of us, and oh my goodness, I've had to do so much self-examination as I prepared this lesson, but really examine how you think about your church, and how you think especially about the people in your church, not just all Christians everywhere, but those messy, sinful, offensive, rude people in the pews or in the chairs next to you every week? How are we actually thinking about them? What is our, our desire in our heart for them? Um, you know, I shared in the beginning that, you know, part of my testimony is that I was very selfish. I was very self-centered. I was ridiculously self-absorbed with what I thought the church should be and what I wanted out of it. So if you're here, I want to ask you, if you are thinking like me, uh, first, I was incredibly selfish. I thought, you know, I'll take the church when I need it. If I don't feel like I need it, I'll pass. It's fine for some others to go, but not me, at least not yet, not till I really need it. That was selfish because I was not thinking about everyone else in the church. I wasn't thinking about what God said. I was thinking like a consumer and what my preferences were. Um, another thing I thought is that people in the church existed to serve me. So I carried years of bitterness 
because, um, you know, people at church or, or that I grew up with, they weren't reaching out like I thought they should. You know, if they really loved God, why weren't they reaching out and saying these things? Or why aren't they doing these things I think they should? Or when they would reach out or when they would do things, it wouldn't be the right thing. And so I was expecting all these people to perform and to behave in a certain way that impressed me and pleased me so that I would want to go back to the church. But that was a complete self-centered focus because I was not at all asking, how do I serve them? But instead, what do I get out of these human beings created in the image of God? And then the last thing, you know, as I, as I started repenting and God really started getting a hold of me, I still wasn't serving. And I suspect that a lot of you can really identify with where I was at. And that is basically because I didn't think I could serve. I wasn't smart. I, I wasn't good at teaching. I didn't know a lot about the Bible. You know, I wasn't good at cooking at the time. You know, I didn't really know what I could do to serve the church. And so I just didn't. I was just kind of waiting around and be like, all right, God, when you've got something for me, I'll take it. But you're going to have to really drop it in my lap and make it apparent. And so, you know, I wasn't thinking about how I could just pray for people or just, you know, offer help when someone needed it. I wasn't thinking about visiting others or even just talking to people at church because I am very shy, very, um, oh goodness, introverted. <laughs> um, you know, I, which is maybe weird here, you know, seeing me up here pre-teaching, but that's purely by the grace of God that I am talking to anyone right now. But, you know, we can all come up with excuses why we don't serve. You know, we don't feel ready. We don't feel equipped. We need to work on ourselves first, whatever it is. But that's not what God calls us to. And I want to be, um, you know, kind of personalize this because I know, you know, I know where I am right now. You know, I know, you know, gospel-centered recovery. There's a lot of people here because you see or saw something in your life that just controlled you that you, you day after day, week after week, whatever it was, you gave in. You let a thing control you. You didn't want to drink the alcohol. You didn't want to do the drugs. You didn't want to get, you know, keep visiting the porn site. Whatever you're here, whatever you struggled with, you didn't want those things, but you did them. And you know that it's only through Jesus Christ and his power that you can overcome these things. And that's why you're here. And if that is you, I want to say that you, God has given you a unique life experience to be able to bless others in a way that others cannot. And I want to share two ways that is. One if you are here and God has given you victory through the power of Jesus Christ to overcome whatever it is that brought you here originally, that is a huge blessing to people because by sharing that, people see the power of God in a person's life, something that maybe a lot of us don't get to experience in our own because we don't have these you know, major life-controlling things where you know, we were homeless because of how much we just wanted drugs or whatever. A lot of us can't ex experience that or understand that, but by you sharing that experience and how Christ has helped you overcome it, not just helped you overcome it, but Jesus Christ is the one who overcame it for you, that is a huge blessing. That encourages people and builds them up. But it's not just those who are successful and have victory over it. You know, maybe there's someone here and you, you failed and you made a choice before even coming here that you hate and regret. You can still bring glory to God through those experiences because God has not just brought glory when we are perfect, when we look good, when we just have this model life that people want to live after. When we fail, when we struggle, when we fall and we give in to whatever temptations are facing us, it's what we do afterward that shows who God truly is in our lives. Do we try to excuse it? Do we try to cover it up? Do we, do we rationalize it and say, it wasn't that bad, it wasn't like so-and-so? You know, whatever it is that we do to try to justify our sin, that doesn't bring God glory because that just tries to make us feel better. But instead, if when we sin, when we fall, and give in, if we repent, if we confess that sin to God, if we reach out to others and letting them know what's going on, if we open up our messy lives and let others in to see the struggles that we have, but still they can see that we need Jesus Christ and we still want to rely on him and everything, that brings just as much glory to God as those who have overcome. 
because all of it is pointing to the power of Jesus Christ and our inability to do anything to save ourselves or to be good people on our own. And how am I doing on time? I'm doing terrible on time. Oh my goodness, I'm sorry. Okay, I'll skip to the end. <laughs> I did have this down to 30 minutes. I'm sorry. I'd, I'd get excited when I talk and go off, off book. Um, so I want, I want to ask, though, final thing. Are you a part of God's people? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you seen your, your guilt before God and confessed it and asked Jesus Christ to save you? Because everything I've talked about here means nothing if you don't have that, because anyone can go to church and be nice and encourage others and be, you know, a really fun person to be around, cook meals, whatever. You cannot do it with a motivation to love and serve God unless you have Jesus Christ. So if you're here, realize that you are guilty before God for breaking his law, and there's no good that you can do. Nothing I've said is going to save you or give you a lesser sentence before God. It is only through trusting that Jesus Christ alone can save you from your sin and asking him to do it, that we can possibly be forgiven because Jesus Christ took the punishment for our sins so that we don't have to. So if you're here and you, you understand that, you know, make today the day of your salvation. And if you're here and you get it, but you don't really know what it means to, you know, confess your sins, to ask Jesus to save you, then find someone here who does know it. Don't just hope that you've got it right. Don't say, well, maybe when I figure it out, there are, are believers here, you know, everyone here who knows the truth of Christ wants you to understand it too. So talk to me, David, uh, your group leader when we break up, whoever it is, ask what it means to be saved, to have your sins forgiven, and to be able to live a life for Jesus Christ. Um, so I just want to, I'll, I'll end in a, in a quick prayer, I promise it'll be quick, and then we'll break up. God, I come before you in the name of Christ, and I am so thankful for everything that he is in our lives. I thank you for the power he gives us, not to just be better people, but to do everything for us and that all we have to do is rely on him. I thank you for the example that you gave us in your word of how self-centered and how selfish we can be. I just pray that um, all of us here can examine ourselves and to think of ways that we are being consumers, that we are being selfish with how we think of church, how we think of the people in it, and that if we need to, we would repent and confess and make today the day that we choose to love you by how we live our lives, and especially how we live our lives with others. In Christ's name, amen.